We're going to begin by reading from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, the first 12 verses. Ezekiel 43, verses 1 to 12. If everything works, we'll have it on the screens for you to follow as well. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Wouldn't that be something for the United Kingdom, that the land would be radiant with the glory of God? The vision I saw was like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had seen by the river Kibar. And I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place where the soles of my feet, the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings at their death. When they place their threshold next to my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and their funeral offerings for their kings and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they are ashamed of all they've done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits and entrances, its whole design, and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them, so they may be faithful to its, its design and follow all its regulations. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. Let's pray. Father God, may your spirit come down now and anoint our eyes to see marvelous things we've not seen before. Touch our ears that we may hear words and thoughts we've never heard before. Inspire us in our spirits, Lord, to serve you and walk after you faithfully in your ways such as never has been done before. 
God, we pray, speak to us now through this message by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. The last eight chapters of the book of Ezekiel contain a detailed plan of a temple. And to date, it's not been built, at least physically. How do we read this? How do we understand it? Some people suggest, literally, a temple like this is going to be built in a period of time to come in the future they call the millennium. There's a few problems with that particular theology, and we won't get into them here this morning, but just to say that in this new temple, the king has to offer sacrifices for his own sin. So that can't be Jesus, can it? Because Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God and sacrifices for our sins. So we need to get a good understanding of why this temple description is here in this passage of Ezekiel and what it has to say to us today. In verse 5, we read this remarkable statement, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It enters through the east gate, and if you've ever read this series of chapters, you'll know that there are four gates, north, south, east, and west, and only God uses the east gate. Once he goes through it, it's shut and closed. And the other thing that uses the east gate is the river of life, and we'll say more about that next week. It flows out from that same gate. One thing we can be sure of is this. God's purpose, God's heart, God's desire, God's vision for the human race is that his glory would fill the temple. When we read this, we have to bear a few things in mind. First of all, Ezekiel himself we find out in chapter 1, verse 3, is a priest. Now, we're used to him being called a prophet and writing the book of a prophet, but actually, he is a priest-turned-prophet. So he comes from a priestly temple tradition. He was one of the many officials dragged out of Israel, away, hundreds of miles away, to a foreign land, and placed in exile there. The second thing to bear in mind is that 10 years after that happened to Ezekiel, the remnant of officials who were left behind in Israel did not behave as they should have done and did not behave as God called them through the prophet Jeremiah. As a result, the invading army came back a second time and decided to punish the Jews even more. They pushed out the remaining officials and then they did something they hadn't done the first time 10 years earlier. They went to the temple and they utterly destroyed it and tore it down block by block, brick by brick, stone by stone as a punishment for Israel's non-compliance. That temple was built by King Solomon. It was built by King Solomon as a follow-on from David's heart to find a place for the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God to dwell. Now, thirdly, we need to bear in mind that Ezekiel sees all of this in the spirit. Remember, there's no internet, no telephones, no communication. He can't possibly know what's going on moment by moment in Israel. And yet, 
he does because the Spirit of God shows him. And he warns the Jews that he's amongst in the exile that their sinful ways will bring all this to happen, and it does. And of course, they don't listen. Just to say, by the way, that although he is a priest, Ezekiel is a visionary. He is a man of vision. God speaks to him and places in his heart and mind vision after vision. And we talk about every New Testament believer being a priest to God, and that's right, that's theologically correct and true. If you want to be a priest, part of that will be to be a visionary. Are you a visionary person? Do you have a vision of who God is? Do you live by vision and revelation? Because that's what it means to be a priest. And we'll say more about that maybe in a future message. So I want to look at what's going on here under three simple questions. The first one is this. What is a temple? What is a temple? And the passage actually answers us, at least in part. It says this in verse 7. Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where... I will live among the Israelites forever. So we're told that a temple, by the way, there's only one temple. There are lots of meeting houses, synagogues that grew up actually during this time, but there is only one proper temple, and that's the one that's been destroyed, the one we're looking at here for a new plan. And in that place, God's presence dwells. He lives in the middle of his people in that place or his presence is there we're told that his throne is in heaven but the temple is the place where he rests his feet and all that power all that authority all that wonder all that rule in the kingdom touches the earth at the temple. It's the place where heaven touches earth. The second thing about a temple is this. It says in verse 6, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. A temple is a place where God speaks to the human race. And he doesn't just speak to the human race en masse. He speaks to individuals one at a time one by one. The temple is the place on earth where God speaks to you and me. So, I trust you will agree with me that a temple is a good thing. It's a good thing to have a temple. It's a curious thing, isn't it? God always knows where we are. But the people know where to find God. A temple is a place where people know they can find God and not just find him but approach him in spite of all our own failings and sin all our own imperfections and in spite of all the failings, sin and imperfection of this godless fallen world God will still allow us to find him 
one-on-one in his temple. God's plan was always to have a temple and to fill it with his glory. Now, here is the challenge for Ezekiel. He is a priest hundreds of miles away from the temple where he should be working and ministering. I wonder if they have unemployment centers for priests in the exile over in Babylon. But then the temple gets destroyed. So he's got no chance of returning to work. He's got no chance of expressing the ministry that he was born into and called by God to do. There's no temple left. But in the face of all that, Through the Spirit of God, Ezekiel sees the plan for a brand new temple. Can you see why this is so amazing for a priest? Maybe I'll get my job back after all. Maybe there will be something useful for me to do. So that's what a temple is for. Let's look some more at these chapters and find out why they're here in the Bible and what we're to understand by them. So, having asked the question, what is a temple? Let's ask ourselves a second question. What is this temple plan for? Now, God tells us in the passage we've written in verses 10 to 12 why he's given this plan to Ezekiel. This is what it says. Son of man, describe the temple to the people of Israel that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they're ashamed of all they've done, Make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits and entrances, its whole design and all its regulations and laws. Write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design and follow its regulations. God gives this temple plan to Ezekiel for two reasons. Number one, to convict the people of their intense sin towards God. Now, The generation of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, this generation of the tribes in Judah and Benjamin, were living in the south of Israel. The other ten tribes lived in the north of Israel, and they were so sinful and so rebellious towards God that 125 years earlier, they were invaded and carried off to other countries. But the guys in the south, the two tribes in the south, they escaped that judgment because the kings at the time kept them in line with God's purpose is just. But for 125 years after seeing what happened to their brothers and sisters in the north, for a lot of the time, they still failed to do what God wanted and still failed to live the way he was really calling them to live. And year after year, they slipped, and eventually, this happened to them. They too were carried off and taken to another country. Now, If ever a group of people failed God, it was this group of people. If ever a group of people got into trouble with God, it was this group of people. And the temple plan was meant to like deliver them an electric shock. It was meant to say, wake up! God has got something to say to you. After 125 extra years 
of not really living like you should live, of not really being who you should be, of not really understanding the heart of God for yourselves and for others, look at this temple plan and see something amazing and see something wonderful. And what you will see should fire you up towards God in a way the last 125 years have never managed. It was meant to be an inspiration and a wake-up call for them to realize just how marvelous God is and all they're missing out on. That was the first reason. It was to convict them of their sin. And the second reason was to give people a vision of God's perfection, something they could aspire to and to follow. The design and plan, it says, especially its exits and entrances, we're going to look at those in a moment, it was supposed to speak to them in an amazing way to reveal the heart of God and the purpose of God and the will of God. And in that passage we read, it says, if it touches their hearts, if they are so convicted about their sin, then the perfection and the wonder, the way I've designed and constructed this temple plan, Ezekiel, it should speak to the people and offer them an amazing way out. It should offer them a purpose and plan and hope and calling and future for their lives that should really grip them and cause them to follow after me in a way they've never done before. That's the purpose of these incredible eight chapters in Ezekiel. God was offering them another chance. Think about that. The most failed group of people in history and God is offering them the biggest chance to put it right and be different that there's ever been. Isn't God amazing? Isn't that the wonder and grace of God? And you might feel like that about your own life. Your own past week, past year. I was going to say past 125 years, but I don't think anybody's quite had that birthday yet. I know some of you are thinking I'm getting near it, but I'm not there yet. Now, God is incredibly gracious to these people. And we'll see just how much of a chance he gave them. Before we get into looking at some plans of the temple, just to say this to you, there were some real challenges for the Jewish people and leaders listening to Ezekiel when he starts laying out this temple for them. And one of the challenges was this. When you read through those eight chapters, there are sacrifices there for various sins and various things you have to do. The problem is the sacrifices in this passage are different to the sacrifices in the law of Moses. And that got all the Jewish leaders and experts of the law really talking. Well, that, does not, that, and that doesn't line up with that. What are we going to do? They had such a problem with this difference of sacrifices uh, with, with the new temple and the law of Moses, they weren't sure whether to actually put the book of Ezekiel in the Bible or not. And they studied it, and they talked about it, and they argued about it. And in the end, well, you know they did because it's in the Bible. They decided to put it in, and they came up with a brilliant solution. They said, we don't know what it means but when the Messiah comes, he will explain it to us. Great compromise, don't you think? And I'm glad they did because it means we have 66 books in the Bible instead of 65. 
They knew God was in this. And if they did accept this plan of the temple and its sacrifices from Ezekiel, it would have meant they would have to go outside of the law of Moses and do something different for once. It would mean changing their tradition. Now, who wants to do that? I mean, who likes to change anything, really? The time you get up, the way you brush your teeth, the way we have breakfast. I mean, most people like their little formulas and rituals, especially in the morning. If you do the same thing, you can go on autopilot. You don't even have to wake up till about 9.30. You can just drive to work in a kind of fog and a daze and hope you're really going to get there in the same direction, whatever. So it would have required a change of mentality and thinking from them to adopt this temple plan. They didn't want to do it. They were unwilling to do anything that would change their tradition. And the worst of it is they hadn't even got a temple to preserve the tradition for, and they still wanted to hang on to it. I don't know if you know how set people can get in their ways, but a, a pastor friend of ours visited a church once, and the meeting was at some strange time. Instead of like being half past 10 or 11 o'clock, I think the meeting time was something like 10.37. And he asked them why they had this unusual meeting time. And they said, well, it's because the train coming down the valley gets into the station at 10.30 and it takes about five or six minutes to walk up to the church. So everybody arrives on the train, they walk up to the church, they come in, and then we start the meeting a minute or two after that. He said, oh, I didn't notice lots of people coming in this morning. He said, no, the train's not there. They've ripped up the track. It hasn't been there for 10 years but they still kept the time of the meeting at this odd 10.38 or something like that. It's the way people are, isn't it? We tend to leave things the same old way, even when we don't have to keep them the same way. And this is the challenge they are in. And I have to say to us, it's the challenge we are in today as Christians, as believers, and as church. Are we going to leave things the same old way, or are we going to let God speak a brand new vision into our lives that really revolutionizes things and does better than the last temple. So let's look at what Ezekiel was shown, and this was what was meant to impress the people of Israel. We put that one. Here we are. Now, this is a diagram that some brilliant scholar somewhere has worked out how the temple would have looked. Now, can you tell me by looking... Let me just point out a few things to you here. I've got my pointy thing here, if it works. You've got this long wall around the outside here. At the center, you've got the Holy of Holies and the holy place where the priests uh, minister to God. At the back here, you've got the priest's quarters. I think it's the priest's quarters there or down the side. And here, you've got these enormous gates. Here, here, and here, and here, here, and here. Can you see? Do you notice when God was, I'll just do it on this one here, you see the gates here, here, and here, and then here. Now, when God spoke to them, or spoke to Ezekiel, he said, he particularly picked out the entrances and exits. Why do you think he did that? Let's turn this over to you this morning. Why would God pick out these gates, these entrances and exits? 
What's important about them? Let's make you do some work and think. Anybody want to hazard a guess? Sorry? They're very visible. They're enormous. You can see these from a long way away. In other words, even if you're far away from me, come. You are welcome. Why are they big? So everyone can see them. They're big, so you can get lots of people in at the same time. God's saying to the Jewish people, look at the design I have for the future for you. Consider the gates and the exits for a moment. It's sending a message to every one of you and to the whole world, come. If you're far off, if you're not near God, come. There's a welcome here for you. If you think there's too many people, don't worry, there's plenty of room to get you all in the gate, through, through the gates. Now, let me just give you a couple of other things on here, then we'll show you something else for comparison. Do you notice around the edge here, all these sort of spaces here, then there's something in the corner here as well. You can see it here on the plan like this, just on this side as well. And you notice round the edge is something new here, all these little rooms here, and then, then these curious little corner things here. Right. These corner things are McDonald's stands. It's true. They got yeah, we've got an American football field down there as well. just shows you God had America in his mind even years ago, Jared. I just want you to be assured of that. Those corner rooms are kitchens for the priests. But hang on, the priests are supposed to be over here, and this is their sort of accommodation here. So why have we got corner kitchens out here for the priests? The answer will come in a moment, just to keep you awake and keep you thinking. So let's just have a little bit of comparison here. This temple would be number three in line to what God built with the Jews. Let's look at the very first thing he built for them. So can we go to the next slide, please? This is what we had in the desert, the tabernacle. In here, in this tent here, was where God's glory, God's presence came. And surrounding it is this area here where the sacrifice was made. This is a gigantic frame tent that could be taken up and moved on in various ways, carried by the priests to the next place that the uh, Jewish people were camping out in the desert. Now, if I just come over here and take Joe. Right. There's your American football field here, and there's this tabernacle thing here. So you can see it was about half the size of an American football field. Hey. It's even less than the right quarter. Sorry, Jared. In bigger fields than ever, harder to get a touchdown. He stayed up the other night to watch that stuff, by the way. No, he didn't. All right, he's denying it. So when they started out, there was this small building, and all the tribes of Israel would camp around it. This was at the center of their life. And then, after hundreds of years... David seeks the Lord and he says, I want to build a better building, a more permanent building to house 
the, the Ark of the Covenant, which was in here, where God would place his feet from his throne in heaven, as it were, and the presence and the glory of God would come. So let's have a look at the next development. This is the temple that King Solomon built. Here's the two big pillars at the front. And here, at the back of this here, was the place we call the Holy of Holies. That was about 10 meters by 10 meters by 10 meters. So to give you some, exam- some ideas today, this ceiling is about four and a bit meters high, right up to the top there. So it's twice as high as this, just over. And we're probably just over 10 meters to the side here. So the room is probably from that wall there over to me like this, here like this. That's the Holy of Holies. Not, not that big. And this was the temple that was destroyed by the invading army as punishment to the Jews. So they went from that tent to this temple, and this then is pulled down. Let's go back. To, let's go to the next diagram. We should have a, we're back on Ezekiel's temple here. Okay. So, this temple is actually bigger. Can we go to the next diagram, Dave? Then we'll come back to this one. Let's go to the next. Here are the different buildings put out together. There's, this is the temple, this large one that Ezekiel saw in his vision. This is the tabernacle. This is the tent in the desert. And this one here, this middle one, this is Solomon's temple. Now, do a good estimation for me. How many times bigger than Solomon's temple do you think this new one is? Four? It's ten, eight, six, twelve. Okay, somewhere. It's bigger, isn't it? And it's quite a lot bigger. This temple here, this new temple, has bigger gates. It's got more room to fit more people in it. Does that tell you something of the heart of God? To a failed group of people, in fact, the biggest failures the world has ever, ever known, God says, wake up, don't go back to this, go forward to this. Look how much bigger it is. Now, can you see all this space here? This is room to do something very interesting with. This outer courtyard here, people would come in, and there's going to be more priests in this temple than there were before. More people in the temple, more priests to minister to them. And the priests would meet people here in this outer courtyard, and they'd take them into these rooms for counseling and discipleship. That's where you get your demons cast out and your finances sorted out and your life put back in order and marriage is restored and your life language is in that one there, encounter in that one there and so on. Now the priests are going to be so busy they won't even have time to get back to their quarters here at the centre to get something to eat. So what does God do? He says, well, I'll put you a burger stand in each corner here and you can nip out there for a quick Big Mac if you're really hungry between life languages and destiny training or life class or whatever else it is you're doing there. That, I'm serious. That those are priest kitchens. And that's what they're there for. The priests are going to be so busy ministering to the people 
they won't even get a chance to eat properly. Do you remember the life of Jesus? At one point, it says he was so busy, they couldn't even get anything to eat. And at that point, his mother and brothers, it's Matthew 12, came to take him home. I'm taking my boy home to feed him up a bit. Must have been what Mary was thinking. He's looking a bit thin these days. He's not eating properly. It's a good mum, isn't it? Look after you. This is the pattern of ministry that this new temple is going to have for people. More people in, more people welcome, more priests available to do more with the people, and they're going to be busy all the time ministering and looking after them and restoring and praying for people, teaching the law, discipling them, and so on. Look how much this has grown. Can you see the vision has grown from this to this to this? And the biggest step in the vision, the biggest step up was to the most failed group of people the world has ever known. Does that give you hope today? Does that give you any hope at all that God could actually use me and could use you? I hope it does. That's what it's meant to say to us. Now, look up here. There's this other temple up here. This temple here is what they actually did build. You see, they didn't go ahead and build this. They couldn't reconcile what they knew and what their experience was with what this new prophetic vision was. They couldn't make the move, the transition from one place to the other. Something in their hearts and minds and thinking said, no, I'm going to carry on and do God the way I've always done God. I'm not going to change. I can't. I can't work out the, 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 the difference between this and that. I can't work out this, what this would all mean. So they went back and they rebuilt this bit of the temple, just like Solomon. And that's how it was for about 600 years. And then along came a guy that you will know his name. His name was King Herod. Anybody heard of him? He's, you go boo when you hear his name if we're doing pantomime. Ooh, you know. He's the bad guy that killed all the babies in Jerusalem and so on. And he decided he would make this temple bigger. So he put this big patio around it. But you can see it's empty. There's no room for ministry here. There's no priest kitchens in the corners. It was just a lot of fluff. It was just a lot of decoration. It was just a lot of religion. It was meant to get him some favor with the Jewish people because Herod was only really half Jewish. He, he, he was a desert sheikh. He wasn't really a Jewish king at all. So man's attempt at what God wants to do is some decoration, some extra stuff. But it's not the wonderful, big-hearted, welcome, big vision for ministry that God intends in his temple of the future. This one, Ezekiel's temple, is bigger and better in every way. Now imagine you go to the shop for something. 
say you're shopping for a house or a car, something big, and the salesperson says to you, well, you can have this one, but this one is bigger and better in every way. Hands up how many would like the bigger and better in every way one of those? I mean, come on, once you, once you hear there's something bigger and better, it's hard to stick with smaller and worser. Is there such a word as worser? Well, you know what I mean. I mean, it isn't. It's, it's very difficult. This is why men bring home big television screens to their houses. I'm not saying men should do that. I'm just saying this is what they do do that. But I did say this is a ministry for sinners, and I would have to confess my own sin in that particular score. Right. Now, let's look at the third point. What does this all mean then? Okay, we've had a look at this temple. I hope you've seen something as I did when I was studying that there. You can see the bigness of the vision and heart of God. So what does it say to them? Well, the first thing it says to them is, what you thought was so good has been destroyed. What you thought was working for me, for God as a temple, it didn't work. Here is a plan for a new one if you have the courage, the will, the heart and the faith to rebuild it like this. Do you know what? They could have actually built that temple in Jerusalem. But they didn't. They went back to the old. Here is a principle I learned a few years ago. And I want you to try and absorb it for yourself right now because it's really, really important. And it's this. Where there is no vision, the price is always too high. Now, I learned that from a guy who was talking about, he's a pastor, a brilliant pastor from America called Bill Beckham. And he was talking about a radical new idea called having cells in the church or small midweek groups in you know, what we call city groups. And a lot of people saying, oh, we can't do that. It's too much this, too much that. And he said, where there's no vision, the price is always too high. If you and I don't have a vision for something, we'll never do it. There will always be a reason why not. We need a vision to carry us beyond our natural human reluctance, our natural human fears, our natural human unwillingness to change, whatever it may be. Where there's no vision, the price is always too high. That's why priests have to be men and women of vision. That's why we need a vision. A vision will cause us to pay a price we would not otherwise pay. Now, let's go back to our person with the real estate agent wanting to buy a house. You look at the house and you think, it's a bit expensive. All houses are a bit expensive, aren't they, really? Except when you're selling one, of course, and then it seems it's going far too cheaply. But you... Go and see this wonderful new house, and I'll tell you what happens, shall I? You think to yourself, this house, I'm, I can't really afford this, but I'm going to look anyway. Has anybody ever done that to a house? I've done that to a house. Has anybody then ever actually bought the house that they said they couldn't? Don't answer that, because we will pray for your 
counsel, debt counseling later. We looked at the house that we are now in, last of all, because it was too expensive for us to afford, and everything else was selling so quickly at the time, this was the only house left. That should make you suspicious straight away, wasn't it? How come everything else is sold and no one wants to buy this one? Well, we went to look, and it was a mess. And it was too expensive. Who is going to buy a house that is a mess and too expensive? Well, I did. Well, Sally did as well. I'm going to take 50% of the blame. We did. And the reason we bought it was because of this one word, vision. Because when we got in that house, we didn't see the wallpaper hanging off the walls and the damp and the water running out. I mean, it was so bad in there. I mean, I saw this giant hole in the floor and I thought there was a, a big rat there. And I thought, have they got, we got mice or giant rats in And then at that moment, a flying fish jumped out of the skirting board, wriggled across the floor and down the other side of the room. And the estate agent said, oh, that's just the damp problem. We haven't even got around to that. I'm only joking. <laughs> we didn't see all the problems. We saw what it could become. We superimposed over our view of that house a vision in front of our eyes. As we looked at the downstairs rooms, we didn't see damp and terrible plaster cracked on the walls and an awful ceiling and pipework and all kinds of stuff. We saw a family room where some of you could sit. And... Actually, most of you have lived there now, haven't you? Come on. <laughs> vision carried us beyond the normal human response that said, this is too expensive and too much work. Let's walk, walk away from it and find something easier. Where there's no vision, the price is always too high. But where there is vision, you'll find it. I don't know how we did it, but somehow we found the money to buy that house. Vision enabled us to pay a price more than the money we had in the bank. And vision will do the same for us spiritually in life as well. When you and I get a vision of something from God, it will allow us to pay a price way beyond what we thought we could pay. And that's the challenge of Ezekiel's temple. You see, it's too big and too expensive and too new and too different. So let's go back to what we knew before. And that's what they did. How sad is that? How tragic is that? That was their response. Now, it's interesting to note, isn't it, that Jesus comes along to this other temple they built... I think we've got a picture. Let's, let's look at Here we are. Here's the next picture. This is the temple they rebuilt. This was the one that Herod kind of added. A, Herod added a gigantic patio outside of this that did nothing. It just made it look bigger than it was. It's like putting a small picture in a big frame to try and big it up a bit. And By the way, there's some of that left standing now. That's the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Some part of that. Jesus comes to this temple... In John chapter 2, he has his first go at throwing out the money changers. 
They obviously didn't listen because he's back there a few years later and they're back there all over again. And he says this, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Interesting prophetic words, isn't it? And then in Matthew's gospel, a couple of, two, two or more years later, after he first spoke those words there, the disciples come to him and they say, you know, what marvelous stones. And Jesus says, do you see these things? I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Listen, the destiny of what they built of Herod's temple has only got one outcome. That's every stone is going to be torn down. That old, religious, legalistic, restrictive, small-hearted, small vision, lack of faith temple is going nowhere. And when Jesus turned up, he's really drawing a line under that. How do we apply this to our lives today? Is this, Dave, can we go back to the original, can we go back to the um, Temple of Ezekiel now? we find that there. Is this temple here going to be built again one day on the site of the present um, Temple Mound in Jerusalem? I very much doubt it. I very much doubt that's the real purpose of this in Scripture. It simply doesn't fit with the rest of the New Testament if they do that. But it is speaking to us about something else. First thing it's saying to us is this. God has a great heart for the world. He wants to build a bigger temple with bigger gates and more room for more people and more priests for more ministry to those people. That's what this is telling us. The second thing we've also said before is about God's great grace to his people. God wants to offer a failed, unsuccessful, backslidden group of his people the chance to enter into ministry, to become what they always should have been, to think bigger and reach out to more people than they could ever have thought or imagined. I so wanted to be here last week you did such a great job. Invited so many people and got all these chairs filled. It was awesome. I've just had to make I've just had to live on the good of the excitement and the descriptions from some of you I've managed to quiz. Well done. You've just been building Ezekiel's temple. Did you know that? It's what you were doing. Every time you invite somebody through the door, every time you invite somebody, you're bringing them in through those big gates. Every time you have a heart to reach out to someone, you're building Ezekiel's temple, at least in heart and in spirit. You're agreeing with the heart and purpose and vision and plan of God. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? That's why I don't think this needs to be built particularly with bricks and mortar. Because now especially after what Jesus said that 
destroy this temple, of course. He was speaking about his own life and his own body on the cross and being raised three days later. Temples are what you're sitting next to. Have a look at the person next. You poke them and say, you're a temple. Now have a look around you, because all of us together, we're also a temple. Take a look at the temple of God this morning, sitting in here. Can you see priests this morning? I can. Every one of you is a priest, called to minister in that temple. Can you see any spare places for more people to come in? and be part of that temple. That's the heart of God. The new temple is Christ's own body. And every believer on earth is part of Christ's body. That's the real place of the temple of God now. When Pastor Cesar Castellanos felt God speak to him years ago to dream of a big church, to dream of people like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky, can you see it's the same vision? To A point, if I could put it like this, priests. In other words, have a team of leaders, a team of 12, who would raise up more priests, another team of 12, who would raise up more priests, another team of 12, to look after and care for and minister to all those grains of sand people that God wanted to bring into that church. Can you see it's the same vision? It's the same spirit. It's the same heart. It's the same desire of God to build those gates big and high and say, everyone's welcome. Come, you who are near and you who are far away. You who feel close to God and you who feel a million miles from God and not even sure if he's there, come. The way is open for everyone. Our Father has a big temple and lots of priests and a big heart for you. And his arms are open wide. However much you failed him, he has a purpose a plan and a future for your life that is truly big and truly awesome. And the only thing that will stop any of that happening in a most incredible, awesome way is a little voice inside our head that says, but, but that can't mean me. Actually, it does mean you. It does mean you. You can be that temple and those priests. And the question for the church at large, for any church in this country, our own church and us as individuals, the question for all of us this morning is this. Which temple am I going to build? The old one or the new one? I'm going to build Herod's temple or Ezekiel's temple. The small 
No vision, limited faith, limited size temple. Or the big hearted, expansive vision of God temple. It's the heart of our Father for you and for me and for this world is today. Backwards or forwards? Old or new? Small or big? Which is it going to be? Which temple am I going to build? I want to finish with a prayer and give you a chance to pray this. And it's a prayer that should just about get anybody wherever they're at in life. Not long. But if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to God and asked Jesus in, well then, you're in the same position as those Jewish people, those Jewish believers, who thought they were believers, who are actually in deep trouble with God. So your temple can represent your life. And you can go on for a while and think, this is all going to be okay, but there's no future in that small temple. It only ends up a crumbled ruin. If you don't believe me, you can go to Jerusalem today and there's a few of those stones left. I've been there, I've seen them, I've touched them. It's real, it's as real as that. Do you want your life to end up like that? Because that's where the Bible says all our lives are going unless we surrender all to Jesus and invite him into our lives and make our lives his new temple. Because the new temple will succeed where the old one fails. If you want your life to succeed and be truly built on something eternal and worthwhile, remember he said there, I will come and live there forever. We're talking about something that lasts you in this life and for all eternity in the next life as well. This is what Jesus calls eternal life invite Jesus into your heart to know him as your friend to know his presence with you if you've never done that or you don't think you have you're not sure you can do that right now in this prayer don't wait don't put it off don't be like those guys there that said "Mm, we're not sure about this and looks a bit complicated for me looks a bit big vision of who you can be with God so that you're willing to pay the price and God can transform your life and if you're a person that knows him what temple are you going to build a big expansive temple where you have vision for more to come in and be that minister so busy you can't even get back home you have to nip to the burger stand on the corner there that's a great vision that's our vision as a church that's what we want to be we want to be filling this place multiple times we want every one of you to be priests and pastors every one of us to be reaching out to others in this big-hearted, God-centered way that Ezekiel's temple temple speaks to us. And if we do that, 
Whether they build this thing or not in Jerusalem, we'll be building it right here. That temple. A temple of people. And there's room for so many in God's heart. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me and pray this prayer. I think it will come up here on the screen. Have we got it on the screen there, Dave? Here we go. I'll just read this through first. And I'm going to offer you a space in the middle where there's square brackets and some dots there to add your own little bit for a moment. It goes through like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your bigger, better vision for my life. Today, I surrender all I am to you. I'm sorry for all my past sins and failings. Please forgive me now and wash me clean through Jesus dying for me on the cross. I particularly confess. If there's something you need to get sorted with God today, that's your chance to speak it out at that moment quietly to God. Don't worry about the person next to you. They'll be speaking out their own stuff. And then we go on. Today, I step into your future plan and vision for my life to build that new, bigger, better temple for you, to live for you, to meet you, to be ministered to by your leaders and to become one of those leaders, those priests myself so that I will reach out towards and minister to others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. There's two parts of this. There's being ministered to yourself. Do you know, so many people don't actually want to be ministered to because it means getting a bit uncomfortable. It means uncovering things. It means change. And even less people want to become a minister themselves. But that's a big temple. There's a lot of room for those priests to fill. We need priests like we've never needed them before. You are called to be those priests in the Lord Jesus Christ, to both receive ministry and give ministry. And this prayer is committing us to both of those ways of living. So if you think you can pray that and really mean it with your heart, then I'm going to ask you to read that out with me now and join in with me as we pray this together. Here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you for your bigger, better vision for my life. Today, I surrender all I am to you. I'm sorry for all my past sins and failings. Please forgive me now and wash me clean through Jesus dying for me on the cross. Now we're going to take a pause here. I particularly confess, and there's a moment for us now just to do some business with God. Today, I step into your future plan and vision for my life to build that new, bigger, better temple for you, to live for you, to meet with you, to be ministered to by your leaders and to become one of those leaders, those priests myself, so that I will reach out towards and minister to others. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, I want to do something really curious and strange. I want you all to look at me.
First of all, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time and you want Jesus to come into your life, the Bible says he will do that. But in order to do that, you can't just hide away. Jesus always calls his disciples publicly. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like you to put your hand up now if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life. One at the back there, yes. One here. Some here, yes. Could I ask you to do me a favor? Could you just slip out the row you're, you're, you're going to? Steve's at the back here. He just wants to say hello to you and give you something. Can you just see this handsome gentleman at the back? He's the second most handsome man in the room after me. And so if you'd just like to just go and just talk to him now while the rest of us are going to do something else, just please just come on down from the back there. Just slip out towards him and go and see him and talk to him. He's a, he's a nice guy. He won't bite. We just want to see who you are and just say, well done. It's great you put your hand up this morning. Please. Just go to him now as the music's playing, okay? Just slip out on the back here. Come on down from the back there. Just he's standing at the bottom of these stairs here. And he and Caroline will just, uh, well, we want to give you a free gift, basically, and uh, tell you a little bit more about ourselves and so on. So please make your way there now as the music's playing. Now, the rest of you, I want to do something really strange. You're going to think this is really odd to do in a church like this. But, you know, in some churches, they call their leaders priests, don't they? We don't do that. We call them pastors or cell leaders. In some churches, they call them priests. Now, we don't believe in that kind of priesthood. We believe in priests like we've been talking about this morning. Any believer in Christ can lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Any believer in Christ can lead another person to Christ. Any believer in Christ can open the scripture and start to explain it to someone. Any believer in Christ can pray for somebody for all kinds of things. Call it the priesthood of all believers. But you know what priests do, especially when they're a conventional priest, they do this. God bless you. They make the sign of the cross like this. In, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be really religious this morning. I'm going to treat you like priests. And I'm going to say, God bless you, group of priests here. In nomine patri, filia, spiritu santu, amen. God bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a nation of priests. God bless you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are priests to the Lord our God. Pax Vobiscum. God bless you. Peace be with you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are his priest. And you at the back there, God bless you, and God bless you too. I hope because that's so different, you'll remember it. Say, hey, we did something traditional this morning. We can do a little bit of tradition now and then, you know. You are his priest. Let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you for this incredible vision of such a big temple. It was beyond what they thought they could build. It was bigger than any of them had imagined. It was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times bigger than what they'd known already. Thank you, Lord, for big vision, for big heart for big grace. Lord, you said it. You gave it. You delivered it to the most failed group of people you'd ever seen on the face of the earth. You gave them the biggest vision. Thank you, Lord. Surely that means every one of us here is called to a big vision in you. Father, I pray now you will lift our vision. You will do a work in our hearts and our minds and our spirits 
says I can. I can be that priest. I can build Ezekiel's temple. I can live in Ezekiel's temple. I can be ministered to in Ezekiel's temple and I can minister to others in Ezekiel's temple. Lord, I pray, enlarge our vision. Let us see those big gates that welcome people from afar and near. It says, all are welcome in my Father's house. God, I pray, may we build your temple with people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much. The Lord bless you.